Hey, Financially Savvy Travelers, welcome back to another episode of the Thought Card Podcast. In episode 117, we talked about the hottest travel trends in 2023. And I mentioned Edinburgh, Scotland briefly as a must-visit culture capital. Well, this episode is devoted to all things Scotland. Whether you've had Scotland on your travel wish list forever, you visited in the past and you're wild about it, or you're curious about what Scotland has to offer, you're going to love this episode. Kathy Kim Leitner is a travel blogger and podcaster based in Glasgow. Originally from Vienna, Austria, Kathy moved to Scotland in 2013 for uni, aka university. She fell in love with the country and never left. She turned her passion for traveling and storytelling into a career. Today, she runs a Scotland travel blog and plans bespoke itineraries for visitors around the world, creating inspiring campaigns for local businesses and organizations, and tells immersive stories on her travel podcast, Wild for Scotland. Wild for Scotland is for Scotland lovers around the world who dream of a trip to Scotland, or people who are looking for inspiration for an upcoming trip. Episodes include practical tips, immersive stories, and interviews with guests from all around Scotland. Now, this is important. After listening to this episode, please head over to the link in the show notes and check out Kathy's extensive list of Scotland itineraries which covers well-known locations and lots of hidden gems discovered on her personal travels. No need to spend hours poring over multiple blogs. Get the most important information in a condensed and easy-to-use format. There's a Whiskey Galore Scotland travel guide, Best of Scotland, Hidden West Coast itineraries, and so much more. So what are you waiting for? Grab a Scotland itinerary by Kathy, get out there and explore. In this episode, we cover well-known and lesser-known places to visit in Scotland, ways to save money on your trip, as well as Kathy's favorite road trips and also day trips. Welcome to The Thought Card a podcast about travel and money where planning, saving, and creativity leads to affording travel, building wealth, and paying off debt. We are the Financially Savvy Travelers. My name is Kathy Kamleitner, and I'm the host of the Wild for Scotland podcast. All right, Kathy. What's something surprising that most people wouldn't know about Scotland? One of my absolute favourite things about Scotland, and people often don't know this because it's so far-fetched, is do you know what the national animal of Scotland is? I do not. I'm not surprised. It's actually the unicorn, which is not even an animal. But yeah, apparently the unicorn in legends or in mythology is the only animal that can beat the lion and that is strong enough to beat a lion. And the lion is, of course, the English national animal. So that's why the Scots decided to have the unicorn as their national animal. And that's one of those weird things about Scotland I love and very few people really know. (laughs) Ooh, that is super interesting to know. And I kind of feel like 
the unicorn and lion analogy you just mentioned, like there's a little bit of bumping heads going on here, right? So it's kind of the passive aggressive choice. Right, right, (laughs) right. That's so interesting. So, so interesting. Why Scotland? When you reached out to me to talk about like Scotland on the show, I was immediately like just drawn in because number one, we don't typically do deep dives on destinations, which I'm hoping to change. But number two, I just loved the fact that you moved to Scotland in 2013 after going to uni university. You're originally from Austria, from Vienna, Austria. With that being said, why did you decide that Scotland would be where you'd call home when you have Austria back at home, your original home, or you could pick any other destination in the world to actually live in? It's a funny one because it was very much a practical choice at the start. I knew I wanted to study in an English-speaking country to do my master's at a university where I'm immersed in the language and get that international experience. And there's not many countries where that is really affordable to do. I'm sure all your US-based listeners are probably much more familiar with this than me. But Scotland actually turned out to be one of the cheaper places to go and do a master's degree as an international student from the European Union. So it was very much practical (laughs) to come here. I had never been here before. I didn't know anything about Glasgow, where I live now, or really about the country. So it was a whim and a practical choice. But in the end, I think what made me stay here is that as soon as I arrived in the city, I just felt at home. And I felt like people were really welcoming and there was a sense that even though I was from somewhere else and even though my English was good, but I still didn't understand a word people were saying because of the strong accents at the start. Despite all of that, people were just really open and friendly and there seemed to be a lot of opportunity to try ideas. I don't have the most conventional career, I would say, or the conventional job. So being able to do this, I feel like Scotland has a very forward-oriented and progressive way of looking at life. And that was something that really appealed to me and where I felt like this is a place where I can try these things and just give it a go. And yeah, like I said, I felt at home so quickly here and it was supposed to be a year and I'm still here almost 10 years later. That is so incredible. For all those who are listening, Financially Savvy Travelers, back in episode 81, we actually talked about how attending college university in Europe is typically a lot cheaper than we think. So I love how you mentioned that. So if you are interested in deep diving, go back and listen to episode 81. You mentioned and kind of teased that you have a non-traditional career. So can you share with us, like, what do you do? What's your passion? And how do you bring home the bacon, as we Americans says, bring home the money? (laughs) So my degree was in film journalism. And I was actually working in events management for quite a few years, both back home and also in Germany. And then even when I moved here to do with film festivals and kind of film events. But I also started writing. I've always loved writing and making up little stories, but mostly just pulling together information from different sources and making them appear in a new kind of way. So I started travel writing when I was still back home in Vienna. And then when I moved here, I got more and more into this. And I started my own website about Scotland, which is called Watch Me See. And while I was at uni, 
I focused a lot on doing that on the side. And then I think it was just the right time and the right moment to go all in for it. It was a few years ago when blogs start to become really something you could actually make money with and take it to a professional level. So I did that. So now I run the Scotland travel blog and a podcast. And I also plan itineraries for people who come to Scotland and don't know where to go or traveling internationally for the very first time and just have so many questions and want to make sure that all the money they spend on their trip is actually going to the right places and making sure that they have the best experience possible. So that's something I love doing. And like I said, it's not the most conventional thing. I'm not a travel agent. It's really about sharing my passion with people through content and the one-on-one services and helping them have the best time here. I absolutely love that. And I would say I also am a full-time travel creator and personal finance creator as well. And Non-traditional is very exciting. Like there's a lot of things to look forward to. And I love how you transformed your blog and turned it into an immersive travel podcast. So can you tell us a little bit more about your show, what people can expect and how it helps people further plan their trips to Scotland? Yeah, so I got really obsessed with podcasts, like probably everybody during the pandemic. And it was a way for me to connect with others and with the outside world and to learn new things without being able to actually leave home. And so I started Wild for Scotland during the pandemic as well. About a year in, I pulled together all my courage and all my ideas to start an immersive travel podcast. Initially with the idea to provide stories to help people escape through their headphones whether they are in Scotland or somewhere completely in another part of the world, whether they've been here before or are dreaming of coming here, just take them to places that are near and dear to my heart, make them feel like they're there with me and they get to experience it, even though we can't physically travel at the time. So every episode contains an immersive travel story with soundscapes that emulate that sense of being in the place and you learn lots of history about the places we visit as well and about the animals you might find or the plant life or the ecology and all these different things to contextualize the story but to me it's very important to get the sense of being there and feeling what does it look like smell like what do you taste and what can you sense with your hands all these things and making it very very immersive in that way and we've since started doing interviews as well with locals from Scotland who are connected with the places we visit in the stories and we're now in our third year we've done four seasons so far and we're continuing with new stories and more interviews this year as well and it's a great way for me to be creative and tell stories that are longer and more in-depth, but also share that passion and the practical advice at the same time to inspire people to plan their trips. And you know, that's one of the things I love about podcasting. And I feel like a lot of podcasters aren't tapping into the storytelling aspects. Like with a podcast, it's intimate. It's also evergreen and it's a great vehicle to just share long form storytelling content. So I love what you're doing and I'm going to make sure in our podcast feed to have a Kathy's trailer so that you could have a chance to listen to it as well. With that being said, I am ready to dig into the travel planning tips and strategies that you have to share. And I hope that you can also weave in some cool and interesting stories along the way. But let's first start off with the must-see places to visit in Scotland. 
I want to do a two-parter where we talk about some well-known established attractions and places, and then also talk about the lesser known places that are still must be seen. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting, the question about the must-sees, because it's so hard to tell, because it depends on what you're interested in, how much time you have, maybe even where you come from, what's going to be the most unusual experience for you, right? So not everybody will have the same must-see places or bucket list places to visit. With that said, of course, there are places that a lot of people have heard about before, and they come to Scotland to see those places in specific. So Edinburgh is one of them, the capital of Scotland, a beautiful medieval city with a castle or multiple castles and those winding lanes up steep hills and cobbled streets and all these things. Edinburgh is a wonderful city to explore and you could spend probably a week or two just in the city, even though it's quite small, quite compact. There is a lot to see and many different attractions and parts of the city that are a bit lesser known as well. So it's worth spending a bit more time there. The Isle of Skye is probably the number one natural destination in Scotland that people want to see apart from the Scottish Highlands themselves, the mountains. And both of those are beautiful and they can get quite busy in the summer. And depending on where you go exactly, they can also be quite expensive because they are so busy and well-known, but they are wonderful and natural, beautiful landscapes and just absolutely stunning scenery as well. Loch Ness, I think everybody has heard about the Loch Ness monster. (laughs) I've never met her, but I've heard that she's out there. The more whiskey you drink, the better are your chances to meet her in the flesh, so to say. But even without Nessie, that area has a lot to discover or a lot to offer as well. So there are many places people will have heard about before. But like I said, not everybody will have the same must-sees. And I think it's the the off-the-beaten-track destinations and the hidden gems that can actually make a trip much more special because you do get to discover things that other people might have not seen or not come across. And there's a lot to find when you just follow your nose and drive down a wee road down a glen or go for a walk and a wander and see what you can find. I love that. Even in that list that you gave us, like there are some things that I hadn't been aware of. So you can still discover new things, even if it's very known and well commonly known. I loved what you mentioned about the term that I use is like your travel style, right? Like Everyone has a unique travel style that will attract them to different things and different experiences when they travel. So for me personally, my husband loves whiskey. So I definitely want to talk about like some of your favorite whiskey spots. But I also love food. I love craft beer. Also, I love hiking. So can you give us a little bit of a taster if we had to talk food, beer and whiskey and some hiking in nature, like what are some destinations that we should know about in Scotland? Oh God, where do I start? (laughs) So for whiskey, let's start with whiskey. I love whiskey. I used to hate it when I moved to Scotland, but I forced myself to go to more and more distilleries to appreciate it more and more. And now I do really like it. The Speyside is a fantastic region to visit for whiskey lovers. It's the area of Scotland that has the most distilleries. I think there's about 50 in a relatively small area and they're all more or less along the same river, the River Spey and its contributaries. And you can go there and there's a town called Dufftown 
that has nine distilleries in one tiny village. So the Speyside is a great one for whiskey. And then, of course, the Isle of Isla, which whiskey drinkers around the world will be familiar with if they enjoy peaty whiskies that are really smoky and quite heavy and wonderful to drink. And both of those regions also have festivals where it's all about whiskey and local music and good food as well. So visiting during those times of the year is maybe a particularly exciting opportunity for someone who loves whiskey. For food, I'm mostly vegan, so I love the vegan scenes in Glasgow and in Edinburgh. There's fantastic restaurants here. And even though people might think Scottish food is a lot about meat and a lot about dairy and seafood, there is fantastic vegan cuisine in the cities here. And even if you're not vegan, you might enjoy that yourself. If you do eat everything else, seafood in Scotland is something that is really well known for on the West Coast and the East Coast alike really fresh seafood straight off the boat from small local fishers rather than these big trawlers. There's fantastic quality out there. And I think people take a lot of pride in their local produce around Scotland as well. And there's a lot of creativity going into blending different cuisines together. So the West Coast would probably be my top choice around Oban for places like seafood heavy restaurants or fisher boats by harbours. Hiking, you can do that pretty much anywhere in Scotland. The Scottish Highlands are the most famous mountain region of Scotland. That's up north. But I personally also love the south of Scotland. It's much more rolling hills, not quite as dramatic maybe as the glens up north. But that actually makes it a lot more accessible for people who are not mountain climbers, but just want to spend time out in nature and experience a wild natural landscape. I'm hesitant to say wilderness because it is all shaped by human history, but it's just wonderful. The south of Scotland, the southern upland hills, for example, or the Galloway Hills, I love those areas and you get to have them to yourself even in the summertime because everybody else heads up north. So it's always worth going in the opposite direction. So we've covered food, we've covered whiskey, we've covered hiking. There's so many areas in Scotland I could recommend. We would be here until I don't know, next week. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We'll be here until the next day, right? Oh my gosh. I'm being selfish here because this is my travel style and these are things that I would enjoy. So I really do appreciate it. And I'm like jotting all these notes down as I am planning my trip, which is super fantastic. You mentioned having high seasons in Scotland where there's a lot of traffic, a lot of tourists, it's very busy. So what would you say would be like the best time to visit Scotland? And if there are any highlights, so if there's in the winter is the best time, for example, what's the highlight in winter versus the other seasons? So I think every season has something different to offer, of course. And there's interesting things to discover and explore at any point of the year. My personal favorite times to visit is May, and June, kind of before the height of summer. And then as summer progresses from the middle of August onwards until the end of September, those are my personal top seasons. And for very specific reasons, the spring early summer is just a brilliant time in terms of seeing nature come to life. There's so many flowers blooming, all the gardens and castle gardens are at their peak bloom kind of in June time. 
and you have wildlife wherever you look, whether that's lambs in April and May or puffins that arrive on the coast and rear their chicks and, you know, you can get really close to them because they're not scared of humans. So in terms of wildlife sightings, the spring, so May and June, are the best times in my eyes. It's also not as busy yet. There's fewer people out. It's a great season for hiking, especially in May. In Scotland, we have tiny, tiny flies called midges. They're like tiny black flies and they can bite you. And it's not dangerous, but it itches and it's quite annoying. They come out in the summertime, but in May, it's too cold still for them. It's still too early. So May is that perfect in-between season where for us, it's already nice and warm. Nature is springing to life and there's no midges, so you can spend all your time outside without having to worry about being bitten by insects. And then August, September is one of the best times to see heather, tiny purple flowers that cover the majority of hillsides in Scotland. And that combined with those glorious golden sunsets that you get in the late end of summer is just some of the most beautiful scenery you will have ever seen. And again, in terms of wildlife, it gets interesting with deer coming down into the hills as the summer ends and things like that. But really, you can get wonderful spells of sunshine, even in the winter, if you don't like getting up early or staying up too late, you know, catching sunrise and sunset in the winter is very easy. Whereas in the summer, you would have to be awake for probably something like 22 hours for both. So yeah, there's something different to look forward to in every season, but those would be my top choices. I love spring and fall. It's like things are winding up and winding down. And it's also a great time to travel, skip typically the tourist seasons also. So I love all of those recommendations. And with that being said, when would you say would be the best time to go on road trips? I know Scotland is well known for having miles and miles of coastline and and just being an amazing destination for road trips. So what are your thoughts on road trips? Are they worth it? And should we be planning for it in what season if there's a preference? Absolutely. I love going on road trips in spring and in summer. So anytime kind of from late March up until August time. Again, depending on which one you choose, there's very popular road trips like the North Coast 500 and the Far Northwest, which is stunning, but can feel very busy in the summertime, especially with camper vans and big RVs and just lots of people being on those tiny roads in the Northwest. I did that for the Easter holidays and I thought it would be really busy because it was school break, but actually it was really quiet that early in the year. So springtime is perfect for those kind of popular routes like the North Coast 500. Whereas if you come in the summer, maybe choosing something that is a little less known, like there's a beautiful road trip down in the on the southwest coast i think it's called the southwest coastal 300 they all have these names with numbers behind them there's some wonderful road trips on the west coast some of the peninsulas and also taking in some islands or up and down the east coast as well and i think coastal road trips is what makes road tripping in scotland so special because you do get that really vast change of scenery whether it's a sandy beach or cliffs or coastal towns with nice harbours. There's just so much to see on the coast. So I think I'm not surprised that most of our road trips follow coastlines and explore those kinds of parts of the country. And yes, spring and summer are the best for that. 
I know depending on the country and destinations, renting a car can be quite expensive. So what are your thoughts in terms of taking a tour that goes on these road trip explorations versus actually renting a car and doing it yourself? Yeah, it can be quite expensive. And particularly in the time after the pandemic, I've seen prices go up quite significantly, not just for the rental cars, but also for petrol. It is starting to calm down a little bit, but of course we see flights getting worse (laughs) again and hotel costs increasing. So I do fully appreciate that renting a car can be quite expensive, particularly when you travel on your own. So I think if you travel with someone else or with even a group of friends and you can split that cost, I think it's absolutely worth it. If you're traveling on your own, you can do a lot on public transport in Scotland. We have a fantastic rail and bus network. It can be a lot cheaper, especially if you book your tickets in advance. And if you slow down, if you're not racing from one place to the other, but you go on slower and local buses, for example, they're often a lot cheaper than those intercity journeys. And you can do a lot. The only caveat to that is that you just need a little bit more time. So slowing down and reducing the amount of ground you want to cover is really important when you do travel on public transport. And then you mentioned tours. There are some fantastic tour companies here in Scotland that offer these put together routes where you join a small group or a big group of people and experience the country together. And, you know, I've been on several of those in the past as well. And I've always enjoyed them. And I think it's such a fun way to travel on your own, but not be on your own, if that makes sense. And save costs because you've got the transport sorted. And you've also have a guide with you who really knows everything about the places you visit and can guide you to the right places to visit as well. So all three are great options to see the country. And I think you're not missing out by choosing either one of them. You're just having a slightly different experience. And I think that's something to keep in mind for everything. We live in a time where everybody has FOMO about everything. And travel, I think, is particularly bad for that. But really, as long as you immerse yourself in the places that you actually do get to visit, I think you'll have a fantastic time, regardless of how photogenic it might be or regardless of what other people might have experienced. So it's really about making it your own trip. I love that. Now, this show is all about travel and personal finance. So we absolutely have to talk about costs and in particular, saving money on your trip to Scotland. But I want to put an asterisk here because just because we are thinking financially savvy and we're thinking about ways to save money, doesn't mean that we cannot support locals and doesn't mean that our impact is lessened by that. So I just want to preface that. So how do we balance where we can support locals, but also be mindful of our costs along the way? Any thoughts? Absolutely. So there are so many ways that you can travel with your budget in mind. And that doesn't mean having to save on absolutely everything everywhere, but just being smart about where you spend your money and what you prioritize, like you say, and then still supporting the local economy and not just being completely self-sufficient. 
it starts with choosing what time of the year you visit and where you go, which regions of the country you visit. Because like I said, some of the more popular places will be more expensive than some of the lesser known areas. And in the same way, high season is usually more expensive than if you come in shoulder or off season. So that's a very easy way to immediately save money is if you travel outside of the summer months and visit destinations that are a little bit lesser known. You know, if you go on a road trip, there are apps where you can check where the cheapest petrol prices or gas prices are around you. If you travel by public transport, you can book tickets in advance and have them tied to a specific time to save money or even get something like a rail card to save a certain amount of percentage on each ticket that you buy. So there are lots of ways to do that. I think slowing down is another great way that people sometimes seem to forget when it comes to saving money and spending less on accommodation, because you will be able to much easier find maybe a self-catering accommodation where you have your own kitchen and you can prepare your own meals. That doesn't mean you can't eat out at all, but you might find a local supermarket where you can shop and prepare some of the meals yourself. And it means you will probably spend time in that community where you live for those few nights rather than racing from one B&B or hotel to the next and kind of just touch basing with each village on the way rather than actually immersing yourself in the place and, you know, maybe buying souvenirs or hiring a local guide like you you mentioned as well. I think those are, are some really good things to consider when you do want to be savvy about where you spend your money and how much you spend on what while still being a responsible traveler and contributing to the local economy. I appreciate that. One of the things that you've mentioned and you kind of teased throughout this conversation was slowing down and spending more time at a slower pace and having richer experiences. So how much time would you recommend and suggest? I feel like even if we had two weeks, of course, we're not going to be able to see it all, (laughs) right? But in your opinion, how much time would be like, okay, your first, maybe second trip, you spend this amount of time, you had a really immersive experience and then hope to see you again in the future. Yeah. So I'm not going to lie. I've been here for almost 10 years and I've not even seen everything. So (laughs) it is impossible to see everything, even if you have 10 years. I think a week is a good starting point. If you have less than a week, I would probably base myself either in Edinburgh or in Glasgow maybe do a few day trips out of the cities, but mostly base myself in one location. If you have a week, you can do it quite fast paced, which I know a lot of people love doing and I sometimes do as well. Or you can base yourself in two or three location and explore from there. A week, I think, is the minimum to do around the country trip. If you have 10 days or two weeks, even better. You can see a lot in that time and get different experiences on the coast, in the mountains, in the cities or larger towns, and just see what life is like in all of these different kind of landscapes and areas of Scotland as well. I always encourage people to spend at least two nights in each destination, just because it gives you that full day of exploring and If you don't want to go by car that day, you can leave the car and just explore on foot or by bus or by train. It just slows you down enough so you actually get to experience the places that you book to stay overnight as well. Because how many road trips have we been on? And I've 
guilty of that myself, where you arrive late in the evening and you leave early in the morning, you spent hundreds of dollars on a hotel room and you've not even experienced a place where you stayed overnight. So I think two nights in a location is ideal if you can. Of course, it's not always possible, but that's what I'm trying to encourage people to do. I love that. I think the biggest theme from this conversation is slow down, slow down. I think that's so important. Now, I really want to talk about day trips. I'm a big fan of day trips, specifically for what you mentioned. You're able to see how people live on another side of the country or another city, another region. So do you have any recommendations for day trips? And this is an add-on bonus, your thoughts on having a base in Eden Edinburgh or Glasgow and going to London. Like, how is that? Because I feel like a lot of people would start probably their trip in London and then maybe take the train up. So yeah, let's talk about day trips and potentially connecting over in London. Yeah, so day trips, it is endless from Glasgow and Edinburgh, both because you have various train lines leaving both of the cities as well as buses. And even within the city, on the outskirts, you have wonderful places to visit, whether you want to go hiking or you want to go to the coast, see castle ruins. I recently spent a lot of time in Edinburgh because I'm writing a book for a German publisher about the city. And I've done so many day trips from the city. One of my favorites is to go out to the coast and particularly from May to July, go out to the coast and visit a town called North Berwick. From there, you can catch a boat to a place called the Isle of May, which is a small uninhabited island that is home to a massive puffin colony. So you can actually visit the island, go off the boat and just immerse yourself in these cute little birds that are everywhere on that island. And that's easy to do from Edinburgh. You can get the train to North Berwick. You don't need to have a car. And within a few hours, you're in the middle of nowhere almost and you're so far removed from the city it's a wonderful place to visit for a day trip and then on the other side if you are in Glasgow on the west coast again I love going to islands and there are many islands you can visit on a day trip from Glasgow as well Uh, the Isle of Arran is one that stands out it's definitely worth to go there for longer than a day but it's possible there is something called a rail and sail ticket so you get a train ticket in combination with the ferry ticket as well. So you get on the train and within two hours, you go off the boat and you're on the island and there are hikes you can do. It's an island that is really well known for its local produce, whether that's cheese or dairy, but also lots of yummy ice cream and good seafood and all these things. I know I said I don't eat, you know, I mostly eat plant-based, but those are the things you can get on the Isle of Arran. There's whiskey distilleries, there's a craft beer brewery. So you really get a little bit of everything there. And it's a fantastic place to visit, even if you only have a day. And again, within just a couple of hours, you've left the city behind and you are immersed in the countryside and you've got coasts and mountains and it's just beautiful. So those would be probably my two top choices. And then in terms of London, I actually get, like you said, a lot of clients fly into London because it's a big international airport. It makes sense. People are very nervous about connecting flights up to the UK. So they like to spend at least a night or so in London and then take the train up to Scotland. It is about a four and a half hour train journey, which 
to me is quite long. I know four and a half hours of travel time for Americans is probably nothing, <laughs> but I wouldn't do that unless I had, again, like two or three nights maybe in the destination. London is so, so, so big and has so many various sides to it. I think it's worth spending a few days in the city rather than rushing through it. I remember as a child, one of my first international trips was with my family, with my parents and my brothers. We went to London for 10 days and we just explored London. We didn't even go on any day trips outside the city and I don't think we saw it all. So it's its own thing. It's its own world. So having a few days for that, I think is the bare minimum. But it is a very popular way to combine a flight to London with an experience up here in Scotland. It's very easy to do and the train is very convenient. So yeah, it's often done and it's a good way to see both. You know, four hours, I'm like, oh, I used to commute two <laughs> hours one way to work just to oh go to work God. on a daily basis to go to New York City. So four hours, I'm like, woo, Sammy, you know, like it's nothing, <laughs> at least for Americans, I would say. But this was such an inspiring conversation. I encourage everyone who's listening to head over to the show notes because we'll have beautiful photos that you can check out and just like be in that moment of what it would look like and feel like to be in Scotland. So with that being said, Kathy, I wanted to talk about your itineraries because I can imagine you get a lot of questions and you spent so much time exploring the regions that you've put together these guides. So what can people expect from your itineraries? Yeah, so I have one-on-one -on -one services, so I do bespoke itinerary planning for people who want to come, but then I have this series of ready-made itineraries that you can literally pick up and follow day by day for a trip around Scotland. And there's different themes and different geographical regions. So there's itineraries for whiskey fans and for hikers, but also for outlander fans. There's one that covers all the highlights and the best-known places as well as hidden gems on the West Coast. There's one for the North Coast 500. And there's island hopping itineraries that take you to various island groups around the West Coast of Scotland, including the Outer Hebrides, which is just a dream come true. If you've ever seen a photo of a beach of the Outer Hebrides, it's just surreal that that's even in Scotland. And then they also cover lesser known places like the South or the East Coast of Scotland. So they're really varied and I'm hoping that People will not just go for the highlights route, but really think about what do they want to experience and what do they want to see, and then take something that is a little bit out of the ordinary. They're maybe a little bit faster paced than some of the tips I've mentioned earlier, but they are designed in a way that you can do them in a week, but you can also just expand on them and take your time and do the same route within a longer time period. So they are really kind of very flexible, even though I've structured them on a day-by-day -day basis, you can take a lot of the information and there's much more than you could feasibly fit into a week in there to make a longer journey for it as well, or even a return trip. And I've had feedback from customers who've already planned another trip with a new itinerary or to see a different part of the route that I suggested in one of my itineraries and just to spend a little bit more time as well. And they're, they're good because they save you a ton of time to research those routes yourself because it is quite overwhelming. People are often surprised by how much there is to see in Scotland, even though it is such a tiny country on the map. There's so much to see and it can be such an overwhelming feeling to make those decisions and to find the hidden gems. The itineraries that I've created just 
save you that little bit of extra time and point you in the right direction so you you find places that you might otherwise have not found. And for those who prefer a more bespoke, personalized service, can you tell us more about your service? Yeah, so I do that in two ways. You can either book a review session with me, which is aimed at people who love planning themselves about as much as me, but need help filling gaps, maybe where they're not sure where to go as their next destination, or just to make sure everything that they've planned makes sense, is in the right order and isn't too much. Many of my clients are worried about rushing themselves, but at the same time, they want to see as much as possible. And that can be quite a difficult balance to get right. So a review session is really to discuss your itinerary and make sure that it's perfect. And if you're not a planner, which I know a lot of people aren't, even though it's my favorite part of any journey is the planning phase. I also offer bespoke itinerary planning where all you need to do is tell me what you would like to experience and maybe a list of the places you would like to see. And I create a bespoke route for you and make sure we get as much of that wish list in your itinerary as is feasibly possible and still making sure that you have a great time and you find a few hidden gems and come to Scotland well prepared and feeling at ease that it's going to be the perfect trip for you. I love everything you just mentioned, because it can start with your podcast, right? Listening to your podcast, getting inspiration, grabbing one or many of your itineraries just to like start putting things on the map and putting their itinerary together. It could even look like reviewing their route and reviewing their trip with you all the way up to you working with them one-on-one to create their like customized epic adventure to Scotland. So I love the journey and how listeners can work with you in a multitude of ways. So before we head out, please let us know how we can connect with you. And if you have anything cool and exciting coming up that we can help to support and look out for. So you can find me on social media. I'm most active on Instagram. And I have two accounts. At Watch Me See is my main Scotland travel account. And then of course we have the podcast Wild for Scotland that is most active during seasons and when we have new episodes coming out. You can find the podcast on any podcast app, anywhere you listen to podcasts, just search for Wild for Scotland. And exciting things coming up. I'm getting involved with a community tourism network or campaign to really strengthen local communities and take leadership about sustainable tourism initiatives into their own hands. So that's something I'm really excited about. And I am also planning my first ever trip to the Orkney Islands, which is an island group in the very far north of Scotland. I've never been. They have a really unique culture, strong ties to Viking heritage from, you know, the Middle Ages. And I've never been, and I'm so excited to go. We're going for the folk festivals, there will be lots of music, there will be lots of whiskey, and hopefully a lot of wild swimming on the beaches. <laughs> Listen, invite me when you can, all right? <laughs> invite me. That sounds like a great time. But thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Again, I just hope it inspires folks to consider Scotland this year or any year for that matter. And definitely take all the tips and ideas to heart. Take it slow, explore, give yourself enough time to truly dig in and have a wonderful experience. So that's all Financially Savvy Travelers. Until next time. Bye. Bye.